My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father-in-Law, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With eyes of faith, let's see once again Jesus' encounter with the blind man Bartimaeus, an encounter that we have contemplated surely many times, from which we have learned lessons of perseverance in prayer, sincerity in our petition, how to be shameless the way that Bartimaeus was when other people in the crowd told him to be quiet, stop bothering, stop making noise. Bartimaeus cried out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But what I'd like for us to consider this morning is more Jesus's response to Bartimaeus. To consider it, to contemplate it, and to allow Jesus's words to do what Jesus' words intend to do, to shape us, to form us, to be the Word of God that gives life. And we recall that encounter in which after Bartimaeus finally comes before Jesus, he's, he's thrown off his cloak and he gropes and makes his way towards Jesus stumbling and striving to get there because he was still blind. And when he's finally before Jesus, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Let's have the childlike faith to believe that those words are also directed to me. Childlike because just as a child has this innate sense that, that my, my parents love me, I, I don't have to earn it, I don't have to deserve it, I can just take it for granted in a sense. It's the presupposition of everything. I mean, not that a child would ever reason in this way, but there's just that sense that from my mom or my dad, I can ask whatever and they'll take care of me. Well, let's have the childlike faith to believe that when we contemplate scripture, in very real ways, it is alive in your present moment and in mine, and that Jesus is saying to me, what do you want me to do for you? I'm emphasizing so much the importance of us trying to believe that in faith because I think it's hard. It's easier for us in our weakness and our brokenness to kind of relate to Jesus and imagine him saying, okay, this is what you need to do. This is what I'm expecting of you. Here are my commands. And if you do these things, you can be pretty much confident that you're on the right path. But to put
put myself before Jesus who kind of puts himself freely at my disposition. Not because of who I am, not because I deserve it, certainly not because that's the natural relationship that God has with me, you know. Hey God, look, this is what I need today. Let me tell you, you, you got a pen, paper, you want to take it down? These are some requests I want to make. But precisely it being the opposite, me being who I am. A sinner, so often indifferent, petty, caught up in silly things. But Jesus looks at me and says, what do you want me to do for you? That's the power of his love. He puts himself at my disposition. And he, his question is a question about desire. In a sense, it was obvious what Zacchaeus needed. That he needed to be able to see again. It's the main thing that conditioned his life. But Jesus never imposes. He elicits a response. He's always seeking out our freedom. And at the root of that freedom is our desire. What do you want? I think in our prayer, when we think about our Christian life, and there's so many mm, ways in which we are being called to live it in an active, intentional way, that it's very important that we not lose sight of this fundamental question. But a question that I need to understand, Jesus himself is asking of me, what do you want? And if we take that seriously, that question, we probably need to be sincere as well in our response. What I mean by that is sincere, because intellectually, I think we know the answer. We can say, well, I want to be happy. I want to do God's will. I want to lead a good Christian life. I, I don't know. We could formulate it in different ways. We know the answer in that sense. But speaking sincerely from the heart, maybe we need to say to Jesus, I'm not really sure. don't know how to put it into words. Because our experience of desire can sometimes be confused. A wanting and not wanting or a dispersion of desire. Or it can even sometimes be the experience of numbness. An experience of numbness because without realizing it, what can happen to us is that instead of us being moved in what we do from a genuine desire that arises within us, we're moved by the desire of others. Their expectations. What we imagine their expectations to be. What they hope for us. What they dream for us. Never explicitly, we never say, oh, well, since that's what they want for me, then that's what I want. None of us is that immature. But that lack of confidence, that lack of security that, that Christ is looking at me, that God loves me, 
as a father in that way and saying, you are the beloved. I am calling you to the life that I have created you for. Our lack of that confidence sometimes casts us into the arms of others, the expectations of others, ways in which we can kind of fill that gap. Do I genuinely know what I desire, what I deeply want? And here, to pray about this, it, it might be good to evoke some images from the Old Testament. One is the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, who sees into the future in the, the coming age of Messiah, when he will transform God's family. Transform it so that it might truly be what God had always intended it to be. And Ezekiel says, speaking on behalf of God, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. When Jesus is asking you and me, what do you want? He's calling forth that heart of flesh. Because maybe in some ways, you know, a heart of stone, at least one advantage it has is that it's, it's, it's not very easy to hurt it. You know, heart of stone is a pretty safe thing. You can bang on it and there it is. It doesn't feel much. It doesn't get wounded, a heart of stone. It can give the appearance of security as well. You know, rock the rock secure. But Jesus is calling forward a heart of flesh, a heart that's capable of feeling, of being loved, of being wounded as his heart was wounded, and therefore a heart that's capable of giving, of loving. And in order for that to be the case, as Ezekiel says, he needs to purify us of those uncleannesses, of those idols. Those ways in which we look for reassurance, confidence in things that are not life-giving. And here I circle back to what I mentioned a few minutes ago, that consideration. That again, I think it's just good for us to have in the back of our mind, maybe right now, nothing kind of comes to us if we examine ourselves a little bit, but to have in our mind, well, how are the ways in which I'm not loving or giving myself sincerely because I want to, but rather what I'm really trying to do is deal with fears and insecurities. And I've kind of implicitly discovered that one, in inverted commas, effective way of doing that is meeting the expectations of others. That there's a little bit of relief and solace in that. Feeling that I'm doing what I should be doing. But that's building on sand. 
it's, it's creating a heart of stone that's numb. And in that sense, maybe, you know, in another Old Testament image that we can evoke is, you know, Moses leading the people of Israel through the desert and the thirst that they experienced in the desert. And Moses crying out to God, Lord, give us water. And God directs Moses to a very unexpected place, to rock, to stone. He says, I want you to go to the stone and I want you to take your staff and tap it once and water will come out of it. And maybe in your interior life and in mind, God is repeatedly saying to us, even though you may feel dispersed, unsure, indeed even secure, trust in me. That heart that may feel a little bit like rock Water is there. Be persistent in your prayer. Perhaps more importantly, well, just, just as important as persistent, be sincere with me. And from that, I will bring forth water <coughs> that we're talking about is not a question of you and me trying to fabricate a passionate enthusiasm about our Christian vocation, about what God is asking of us. It's something that arises from encountering Him. He calls it forth. He brings it forth. Just the way He did with Moses. Moses, who was quite reticent, by the way, doubted that it would actually work. Understandably, he looked at a rock and said, I don't see how water's coming out of that. And maybe in our insecurity, we might say implicitly, look, I'm really busy, I'm stressed, there's a lot of things going on, I've got to get through today. I'm just going to plow ahead. I prefer to cope rather than to be sincere in my prayer. That's a temptation. But we want to have the faith that Moses eventually had of seeking water to come from that apparently unexpected place. Another image, not as directly biblical, that we might use to understand this desire that God is trying to call forth in our life is that of kind of sap or the, the lifeblood of a rose bush. I'm not a huge gardening expert, but my brief experience with this sort of thing is that a rose bush tends by its own accord to, to it grows, you have the, the base of it has some thick branches, which is where the, the sap is, the lifeblood of the plant. But then all sorts of other little branches start coming up, little small ones, leaves, all this sort of thing. And that unless you prune that plant, it will produce few roses and very kind of anemic little bitty ones. And part of that is because all of that sap, the, the, the lifeblood within the plant, gets dispersed among so many branches. But it's precisely in the cutting off of that excess 
the unnecessary, that that sap is focused. It goes forward and it can bring forth fruit. And it is, and in a way, one of the ways that, that we can not have this experience of freely seeking out Christ in the middle of our ordinary, ordinary life with desire is because we get too distracted and caught up in what we could call maybe secondary desires. Kind of like on a rose bush, you have all these other little branches and leaves and little offshoots that aren't producing anything, but they just sap. Just pardon the pun, they sap the sap. They, they take away energy. You know, the kind of worries and concerns that can occupy our minds. Oh, I've got to respond to that email. How am I going to do this? I've got to deal with that person. This person had that argument last week. How am I going to deal with this family member? I need to get this other thing. When am I going to have time for that? Replaying things that we've said or done in our own minds. Worries and concerns about ourselves, how we're performing. Worry and concerns about stuff. All those little secondary petty desires that none of us would ever say, you know, my life is about this, you know. But in practice, it winds up occupying a lot of our mind. It, it, it drains our ability to be focused on what is most important. And within this perspective, sacrifice makes sense. Do I want to be free to live according to the desire that rises from the very center of my being? To go with the grain of my heart? Do I want to be free to live and to love in that way? Because I know myself loved. Well, if I want that freedom, I need sacrifice. And I think it's a helpful image to think of that sacrifice in terms of pruning. Because you know, when you prune something, you take out scissors and you cut off a branch, that's a pretty definitive little thing you've just done, right? You cut it off. You can't glue it back. It's not kind of halfway there. No, it is cut off. And, you know, you could imagine a little if you want. It kind of hurts a little bit. It's not something the plant would necessarily do to itself. Huh? But it's in that cutting off. It's in that decision that there's a liberation to be focused, to allow that desire to not be dispersed. And for you and me, that, that pruning, that desire can happen on a very practical level in our struggles to work well with determination, all the, the bits of ways in which we can understand what working well involves. Turning off the alerts on our phone, not, getting, not going down the rabbit hole of social media in the middle of a task we have to do. All those little bitty ways in which our, the desire of our heart looks to escape. And, and, and it gets spilt among so many other different things. Or at a deeper level, the way in which we can have those small insecurities and vanities and, and compensations in our relationships with others. But precisely because Jesus is looking me in the eye and saying, what do you want? And he's asking me that because he wants to awaken in me, to call forth 
a life and a desire that comes from the center of me. Just as he said to the Samaritan woman at the well who was looking for water. And Jesus promised her, I will give you a living water. And where's that living water going to come from? It will well up to eternal life within you. Just as a parenthesis, I, I think that is a very important way for us to think about grace. As this, this living water that wells up from within us, we aren't the source of it, but it comes from the very center of my being and it wells up, leading me to a life that transforms and transcends the natural life that I'm leading. Which is a very different thing from understanding grace as a kind of supernatural energy boost that is directed at my will to help me do the things that I really don't like doing. Grace is not a miraculous ability to help us get done what we don't feel like doing. Do I sometimes think about what I pray for in those terms? Do I sometimes understand grace as that little kind of ability to help me get better at kind of going against the grain of my desire? What a tense kind of way that would be. Grace transforms our desire by making it true to itself. True to the desire that we were created with, that, Greek, that desire for satisfaction in the fullest, most radical sense of the word, in God himself. Satisfaction that begins in this life, in the middle of our weaknesses and our sinfulness and, our, and the sinfulness of other people and the, the, the difficulties of life, in the middle of that, and will be fully fulfilled in the next. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes, to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Consider how Jesus is saying, very literally, that his word prunes us. That's a helpful insight about how to pray with Scripture. To contemplate and to meditate upon Jesus' words in such a way that it prunes my desire. Prunes it by cutting off the excess, the petty, the unnecessary. And by strengthening and focusing the essential. That when I contemplate Jesus' example, when I understand what he is saying to me, by allowing that, just the Holy Spirit, just opening myself up to that, the word of God is active like a two-edged sword and it's going to come in there and I walk away from my prayer with a renewed desire. How can I know if I'm really praying and not just talking to myself? How can I know if my prayer is actual contact with God and not just me running in circles in my imagination? Do I walk away from it with renewed desire.
It's an important, I hate to talk about measuring sticks in the interior life, but if we want to kind of track our progress in some sort of way, I'd suggest that's a healthy way. Am I letting my heart and my desire be pruned by God's Word so that it can be strengthened, fruitful? Another encounter that Jesus has with someone who needs to be healed in which he speaks of desire is Jesus' encounter with a leper. And the leper comes to Jesus and begs him, kneels before Jesus, and he says, if you want, the leper says to Jesus, if you want, you can make me clean. Extraordinary proposition, isn't it? In a sense. The person who is sick is speaking to Jesus' desire. Do you want to clean me? Now the leper leaves it as an open-ended question. You know, If you want, if. But St. Mark tells us, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I do. Be made clean. We do well to contemplate Jesus' wanting. Not only my desire, but what is his desire for me? And to trust in that more than in myself. Lord, I, I tell you now in my prayer, I sometimes feel feeble, inconstant. I'm forgetful. I, I don't even know how it happens, but I just get distracted, caught up in other things. But if you want, and I believe that you do want, you can make me clean. You can prune me. You can lead me to the genuine freedom of loving in accordance with what I genuinely want, to become more aware of it. So that my desire to turn my activities during the day into prayer and to apostolate becomes real. But that it really be my desire. Not just what I'm told to do, not just what I've heard is the right thing to do, but something that, that, that fulfills me, even though I have to make an effort in doing it. Let's, let me, even though I, I have to struggle, and, we're, and that's why the importance of talking about pruning. Huh? It always goes together. Unless you take up your cross each day and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That is the way. But that taking up our cross each day and following Christ is the way of going with our desire. It's not the way of negating it. Because our experience of shortcomings and sinfulness can sometimes make us problematize, if that's a good English word, our desire. You know, it kind of makes us almost think, well, maybe the best thing is to not really want anything and just do what needs doing. You know? To kind of foster as an ideal indifference. I'm available for whatever. You know? Here is just as good as anywhere else. Whatever God wants, I don't care. That's not how Jesus lived. That's not how so many of the saints have lived. 
with their heart kind of floating in this suspension detached from everything. But rather, they were completely immersed. As St. Maria told us, passionately loving the world. He said that back in the 60s, and it still remains a challenge, and a beautiful challenge for you and for me, to understand what that means, to prune our hearts according to the truth of God's revelation and the teaching of the church, to prune our hearts in such a way that we can really do that. But to do it in a way that bears fruit, the fruit of holiness and of apostolate in your life and in mine and in the lives of many other people. In Mary's appearance in Lourdes, speaking to St. Bernadette, she told her to find a well, to dig it up. And that process in which she did it, of just kind of there was just dry dirt and sand. And then she began to move it away, and then suddenly there was moisture. And then she kept moving that away, and then there was mud, and then there was a puddle of water, and then kept until finally just this well flowing up that we still can experience today. There's maybe a way in which through our own prayer and through our own striving to work well, to be more generous towards others, to have a greater spirit of service, that we need to see, well, that's what we're trying to do in a sense. Remove the dry sand that covers our heart. Remove it through our prayer, through our participation in the sacraments, through that sporting spirit in our struggle, to pull it back so that that water can come out. And let's follow it. Where there's that little bit of moisture, let's bring it out. Let's keep moving it. What stands in its way. And let's be very confident that Mary, our mother, is interceding for us so that we can have this heart of flesh that was prophesied century ago. And that is something that Jesus is very, very eager to give us. He looks at you and me and says, I do want to. I do want to make you clean. I do want to give you a heart like my own. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.